1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start reading at verse 18. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favour, if for the sake of conscience towards God, A person bears up under sorrows when they are suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and still suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favour with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled and mocked, he did not mock in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Powerful words. Let's pray for Walter. Lord Jesus, I pray you just anoint Walter now with your Holy Spirit and help him to share with us some thoughts, Lord, that will help us to understand and apply these verses to our lives so we can become more like you. Amen. Before I kick off, I've got some visual aids which... Um, I'm going to give to each table one of them. And when you hear the appropriate points in something that I say, please raise your visual aid. But please don't just raise it like this. Raise it right up in the air so everyone can see it. And try and maybe rotate it a little bit so other people can see it. Is that all right? So you've got to be listening. Children especially, if you're at the table, maybe you could be the ones to hold it up. Two... Three, you can turn it over as soon as you get it and have a look. I'll give this table two because you've got quite a lot of people here. Great, thank you. Thank you for helping me. So... I really would like to uh, focus on one area of that reading, and that is from verse 23, 21 to 23. 
For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you would follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return while suffering. He did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges. So Jesus leaves us this example so that we will follow in his footsteps. And that's why our title today is Following in His Footsteps. Um, and as I've been thinking about this passage in the past couple of weeks, my mind started to wander, as it usually does. And don't worry, this is actually a beneficial wandering because it actually sort of helps a little bit for, for once. Um, and my thought was, why is it that in Jesus' teaching and parables, he never makes reference to his life as a carpenter? Why is it, you know, when Jesus was 30 and he entered into his ministry, he must have been an excellent carpenter. I mean, he must have been at the top of his game. He was in peak physical health, wasn't he? Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus, by that time, would have had incredible experience with um, clients and with employees, and he would have really known wood. He would have had such good anecdotes about his life as a carpenter and the nature of wood, and he would have been able to use that in his parables. I would have thought. Now, why is it that Jesus makes no reference to any of that? But that part of his life is pretty unknown. The Bible doesn't say very much about it. Um, we, we assume that from a really young age, he was probably involved in his dad's workshop, in his carpentry shop. And as he grew up, he learned those skills. And the one reference we have is, if we remember, he was well into his ministry by this time. And in Matthew 13, it says he went back to his home in Nazareth didn't he? Um, And it says there in verse 54 in Matthew 13, and he came to his hometown and began began teaching them in their synagogue with the result that they were astonished and said, where did this man acquire this wisdom? I love that word acquire because it comes up again. And these miraculous miracles, is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary and his brother's James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man acquire all these things? It was like he'd gone off to university or something, and he just acquired a lot of knowledge, and he came back, and gosh, this guy, we know this guy, we know his family. You know, he he grew up with us. How did he acquire this stuff? Jesus' whole life up to that point had been an absolute model of submission, hadn't it? He was completely submitted to his family and to his community. And it was only that one time when he stayed behind. Do you remember that time when he stayed behind in the temple when he was 12 years old? His parents had taken him with them to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they were on their way back, and Jesus had been missing for three days. So Joseph and Mary went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And they found him in the temple, discussing with the the teachers and the leaders. And, does anyone have that picture? And 
I mean, are there any 11-year-old, 12-year-olds here? Yeah. I mean, imagine you'd gone on holiday with your parents somewhere and they couldn't find you for three days and they eventually found you in a church chatting with the church leaders. I mean, that would be quite an unusual thing for you to do, wouldn't it? But there they found him, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. It says that in Luke 2. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When Joseph and Mary saw him, they were bewildered, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us in this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And yet they on their part did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued to be subject to them. He continued to submit to them. We saw that one brief glimpse of his brilliance. He was arguing with these teachers, and they were astounded. But after that point, you don't hear of anything like that happening. His community in Nazareth are completely unaware that they have the Son of God with them. But then we see when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he had an incredible career change, didn't he? The Holy Spirit settled on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And from that point onwards, his heavenly parentage started to expand out of him, didn't it? He started to teach. He started the wisdom and the miracles that came out of him just astounded everyone. His heavenly father's, the parentage of his heavenly father exploded out of him. And so he began to be committed to following and to revealing his heavenly father and his kingdom. So perhaps he didn't refer to the woodwork shop of, his, of Joseph anymore because his purpose was to reveal his heavenly father. And so he only referred to the handiwork of his heavenly father. Jesus referred all the time to nature and the weather and the harvest, didn't he? And just as Jesus walked in the footsteps of his heavenly father, all he wanted to do is reveal his heavenly father to the world. And by doing that, in the same way, you know, we should walk in the footsteps of Jesus so that we can also reveal our Savior to the world and reveal our Heavenly Father and His heavenly kingdom to the world. And, you know, if we're committed to walking in Jesus' footsteps, then we can't be walking in some part of our life and not in other part of our lives. We can't be following Jesus at work but not on TikTok, and not at home, not, at, not with our friends. We can't have different places, because if we follow other footsteps in other places, we start to get confused, don't we? And that's why Peter says in this passage, he calls it straying like sheep. We can't follow a whole set of different footprints. Jesus wants us to follow him so that every area and every moment in our lives will start to reveal the kingdom of God. Now, when good things happen to us, when we are judged positively 
for doing good works, like let's say we do good work at work and we get promoted. Or children, what if you do good work at school and you get a prize in front of the school? Then you'll rejoice and everyone rejoices with you. And that rejoicing is part of revealing God's kingdom as well. That joy is part of celebrating what the Lord is doing in us. But what happens to us when we are unjustly accused for the work we do? What happens to us when we are judged and it goes a bad way? When we are innocent, like Jesus was, how do we respond? Let's read that passage again. While being reviled and insulted, he did not revile or insult in return. While suffering, he made no threat of vengeance, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges fairly. Now, in perfect timing with this passage, two things happened to me in the past couple of weeks, which hopefully help to illustrate what I'm talking about. The first one was that I was cycling home from work, and I was wearing my Dayglow jacket. Thank you. And as I cycled as fast as I could down the road, this big SUV came out of a parking bay, And the car was parked, sort of facing the oncoming traffic. So those of you who drive will know that it's hard to see oncoming traffic. And she she just came flying out. And I had to slam on my brakes. I almost went over her bonnet. I managed to swerve at the last second. And I slammed to a stop right next to her car door. And her window was open. There you go. And you... You might have thought a person like that would have immediately said, Oh, I'm sorry. But do you know what? She hurled swear words and insults at me. And she pulled off and vanished. The second thing that happened just this week, um, I made an appointment to see another teacher in my school, in in her classroom. Um, She couldn't make the time I suggested, so she made another time that would suit her. There you go. And so I went along at that time. It was near the end of of lunchtime. And I wanted to show her some excellent work the children in her class had been doing. And I also wanted to raise one little concern I had about another child. And so I went at the correct time and I waited... And the bell went for the end of lunchtime, and children started to come in the class, and she was nowhere to be seen. So, you know, I had to go and collect my class and get on with the day. So I heard nothing from her, and the next day, in a hurry, she came past me. And she said, oh, did you come yesterday? Uh, And all I said was, yep, I did. And she said, very curtly, Why were you so impatient? I was only a couple of minutes late. And that was all she said. She didn't make an arrangement to see me again. She didn't try and rebook it. That was it. And, you know, as a natural kind of fleshly response, and maybe some of you are even feeling it right now, you would have had a good comeback. I'm terrible at comebacks. I I don't have words in the spur of the moment. You know, and, and it used to be, sadly, it used to be that I would sort of think about it days afterwards and think, oh, I should have said this, or I should have said that. 
But the Lord has done a work in me. I'm glad to say that, you know, over years now, I can think back on an incident like that and I just can think, I want to bless that person. I don't want to curse them. I don't want to have anything harsh to say because, do you know what, when I do, I always feel even more rotten and more miserable afterwards. But the tricky thing is, how do we deal with the feeling that it leaves us with when something like that happens? Um, it's, it was honestly, as I examined my feelings, it was honestly as if something dirty had been put on me, like a dirty jacket. It was like, um, I, I just felt um, it was a grubby encounter. And the only thing that I found that I was wrestling with was, what could I have said differently? What could I have added that might have helped the situation? Thank you, Justine. Yes, there's that grubby jacket. And, and I'm just going to land with this. When we are wounded by other people for following or despite following in the footsteps of Jesus, when we do everything right, when we have good intentions, but it somehow backfires on us, what do we do? Number one, Peter says, we entrust ourselves to God's righteous judgment. You know, we can be sure that God has seen the encounter. He has seen the incident. And we can know that God judges us to be innocent of guilt and shame. That's the first thing. Secondly, we can approach the cross of Jesus to be healed. Peter says a bit later in that passage that he bore our sins in his body, but it also says he bore our wounds. He bore our sins and he bore our wounds. What a saviour we have in Jesus. Jesus leads us in his footsteps to reveal the light of God's kingdom in our lives. But his footsteps always lead to the cross, don't they? Where we can find God's righteous judgment. We can find God's forgiveness and God's healing in our lives. Amen. And so what I'd love us to do in a minute, just as maybe I've been speaking, maybe the Holy Spirit has just prompted a memory of something that's happened to you. Or maybe you've even been the, the other side of that encounter. Maybe you've said something harsh or some, maybe made a judgment that maybe the, the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on that. And I'm going to put up this cross over here. And in your bowls, you will find right underneath the pens some footprints little pieces of paper with footprints. And those are going to be the footprints of Jesus for this, for this little exercise. Let's see it as a, as a prophetic act. Let's make, have an encounter with the Lord right now. And I wonder if the, the band could come up and play for us as we do this. What, I, what I'd like to suggest is that if something has come up for you that you just want to put it down, you could do a little drawing of it, you could write just one word or write a few words. And let's take it to the cross. Let's take that thing that you've maybe been carrying for years 
Maybe some of us have been burdened by this. Maybe we feel grubby from some encounter, some unrighteous judgment that's been placed over us. And let's bring it to the cross. So maybe you could roll it up and literally put it into the cross. And then why don't we go back to our tables and if you feel able to, why don't you share it with somebody at your table and pray together and just agree that the Lord is washing us today from those things. Is that all right? Amen.